I want to tell you one of my, uh, one of my favorite stories of all time. It is uh, a true story that took place when we were in our first church in Louisiana, South Louisiana. And uh, we really didn't know much about pastoring. We were young. I'd been saved about two years, and I'm thrust into the limelight of senior pastor, which uh, people would ask me questions, and I said, I don't know, I'm going to pray about it. What that really meant, that was code for, I don't have a clue. (laughs) But in South Louisiana, if you shout loud enough and quote enough scripture, they think you're preaching. So it all works out, amen? (laughs) But um, one of my favorite stories is a man by the name of Ansel Carruth. That sounds like a good Louisiana name, doesn't it? So Ansel was a really interesting man, and I, I met him day one when we went there. And I asked him his story, and he said, well, you know, preacher, he said, I got saved a few years ago and uh, never really had much money. My wife drove a school bus to try to keep ends to meet, and I have a nice piece of land, and, uh, you know, God just uh, saved me, and was shortly after I was saved, I, I started tithing 10% of my income to the Lord. And he lived on a beautiful piece of property, and uh, by all stretch of the imagination, it wasn't worth a lot of money. It was a pretty humble home with a lot of acreage and mostly pine trees. And one day, uh, someone knocked on his door, which was unusual out in the country, unless you knew them. And the man knocked on the door and said, I'm uh, from Georgia Pacific, and uh, we're, we're putting in a new lumber mill in Zachary, Louisiana. I'd like to talk to you about your trees. Well, Ansel didn't know what that meant. He said, well, come on in and Gave him a cup of coffee, and they sat down and began to drink coffee. And he said, now, Ansel said, now, there's trees everywhere around here. Why do you want to talk to me? And have you talked to anyone else? He said, I haven't talked to anyone else. He said, we did an aerial survey of your land with a helicopter, and we determined that we wanted to buy trees from you. And he said, well, why me? He said, I don't have the answer to that question. I just am telling you that I got my orders from headquarters, and I'm supposed to offer you uh, to sell trees. And Ansel said, you know, I'm kind of fond of these trees. Now, that's a southern way of negotiating a better deal. (laughs) Kind of fond of these trees. And uh, the man said, well, I'll tell you what. If you just get a piece of ribbon and go out and tie a ribbon around every tree you like, we won't cut those down. And we're not going to wipe it out. We're just going to thin it out. He says, because you have some very tall trees. And Ansel said, now, how much would I get for these trees? He says, you'll get $1,000 a tree. Now, this goes back quite a way. So $1,000 was a different 1000 than today. Amen? And he said, well, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And so uh, every once in a while, when Ansel needed a little money, he would call up Georgia Pacific, and they'd come cut trees. And that little church that had an annual budget of about $25,000. Can you imagine that one? On a given Sunday, it might get a gift of $50,000, which means your budget is not really adequate. You know what I'm talking about? Because you see, Ansel would go out and he would take and sell a tree when he needed money or when the church needed money, and then he would tithe back from that. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs that the memory of the righteous is blessed. 
And Ansel passed that land on to his family who did the same thing. He passed. I did his funeral. I flew back. I was living in another state. But he asked me to do the funeral. He asked me to, to preach in a white suit. Just try to find a white suit. He said, I want the choir to sing. We had a choir in those days. I want the choir to sing, The King is Coming. And I want you to invite every black person in town to come. You see, we lived in a small town that was prejudiced. And the blacks weren't allowed in there, but Ansel was, they loved, everybody loved Ansel. And he ministered to them. For the first time in the history of that church, it was filled up with black people who loved Ansel. Poor, Poor bigoted white people didn't know what to do. They were beside themselves. And uh, we had a great service to welcome him into glory. But the story doesn't end there. We were there about six months when we gave birth to our first son. Uh, And he was born prematurely, and he was in intensive care. And when insurance got done paying for everything they were going to pay for, uh, we owed the hospital $20,000. Now, in today's dollars, that seems negotiable, but remember, I was making $450 a month. So I went to the hospital, and I agreed to, to get on a payment plan of $50 a month until Jesus came back. <laughs> That's kind of how it works. I mean, what are you going to do? You repossess him, and he's going to cost you money, so you might as well let me pay you 50 a month. And, but Ansel walked up to me on that Sunday, and he handed me five $100 bills. Now, remember, this is the equivalent of one month's salary for us. And he said, God told me he's going to take care of this hospital bill. And he, I want to start the seed money right now with $500. So we took the $500, and we sent it to the hospital. And from that moment on, we began to see money come in from unexpected sources. They would, we'd find checks under our door. I was teaching in a little seminary in New Orleans, another one, and, and uh, we had my class gave me about $150. And people would just say, hey, I heard about your need. I want to help you out. And it got down to $10,000, and then the money stopped. It was like somebody turned off the spigot. You ever had that experience? You feel like God's blessing, God's blessing. All of a sudden, the spigot gets turned off, and you go, God, what are you doing? He's just testing you. He's just trying to see where your heart is. And so I came home one day from class, and Tammy was jumping around acting crazy. Not that she doesn't always do that, but this was an unusual moment for her. And I said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, she said, what's the best news you could get right now? I said, our hospital bill's paid for. She said, that's right. I said, well, I talked to him yesterday, and we own 10000 She said, well, I talked to him today, and we own nothing. I said, well, have you ever investigated the miracle to make sure it's true? I said, well, you know, I trust you, but I'm going to verify. So I picked up the phone. I called the hospital, and I said, uh, uh, you know, told them my name, and I said, could you tell me how much we owe on our hospital bill? And she said, well, I already talked to your wife today. You don't owe anything. I said, well, let me just, let me do a little history check here. How much did I owe yesterday? She said $10,000. How much do I owe today? None. I said, what happened? She said, all I can tell you is your bill's been taken care of. To this day, I don't know who paid that bill. I don't know whether it was Ansel, somebody else. I don't know where it came from. It's not important that I know, other than I know that the supernatural resources and provision of God are always adequate for your situation. You see, as Christians, we have to live in the supernatural. 
Because the more we lean into the physical and the natural and our own ability, the less we see God in our life. We have to, we have to always be leaning into God to say, God, I want you to, to come through on this situation. And we, we all dislike stressful moments in our life. If you like them, you're strange. Let's just be honest, all right? We all dislike those moments, and yet we all know that it's in those moments that we press into God. And without those moments, where would you be spiritually? You'd be relying on your own resources. You know, like, like Larry said earlier, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own resources, but in all your ways, you know, trust him. Trust the Lord. And so Ansel becomes for me one of those great men that all through history, you know, the history of our, our ministry, I look back and there are men and women that stay in my memory. And it was never because they were always my buddy and I'd hung out with them all the time. It was because I saw what God was doing in their life and they manifested in their own life in the church. They made a way for people that couldn't make a way. You know, I think about Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Do you remember that? He said I, I, they didn't have time to prepare the body for, for the burial, and so he wanted to take the aromatic spices and go, and if you calculate how much he did and what it would, it would be about $30,000 in today's dollars. And he prepared the body of Jesus, but I can just see him carrying the body of Christ to care for him and to, to, to get him ready for, for, for his proper burial. And I think about how many people have resources, and your job is, just like Joseph of Arimathea, to carry the body of Christ. You see, the Bible teaches us it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. We all have to come to a place where we go, you know what, I miss that in the natural realm, but I rejoice in the spiritual realm. Amen? So we're in a series called The Blessed Life. We're going to do four of these, and this is the second one. And it's a, it's a story, really, about how God comes through in your life. And I really found that it's, it's, it's amazing to me. I, I was able to dialogue with several people on the airplane in the airport, and I kept using this scripture. It was really interesting how God kept bringing back Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We introduced it to you last week. We're going to do it again this week and the following weeks. But it says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you don't grow in faith by wishing you had more faith. You don't grow in faith by prayer. The Bible says you grow in faith by the word of God. So when you bathe yourself in the word of God, it doesn't even say you have to understand it, which is really interesting. Faith comes by hearing when I hear the word of God, right, and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes by hearing the word of God. So when you, every time you hear scripture, your faith grows. So you need to listen to scripture more and more. You need to read it and read it out loud. If you're, if you're commuting anywhere, listen to the word of God. Because you're gonna grow your faith in ways you can't even imagine. I hear people all the time will say something like, I wish I had more faith. And I always say the same thing, read the word. Wishing never gets you faith. Reading the word of God gets you faith. Thy word, O Lord, is truth. John 17, 17. 
If I want to know truth, I read the word. If I want to grow in faith, I read the word. Your word, O oh God, is eternal and fixed in the heavens, the scripture says. It's fixed. It's, it's, not, it's not subject to change. God says in Malachi 3, I am the Lord, that is my name, I change not. The way God operates in terms of faith is the same today, yesterday, and forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. You're going to be known by your faith. And the only way your faith grows is by the word of God. So let me take you through a series of individuals in Scripture who had faith. And they understood something about how do I come to a place to I, to I actually tap into the supernatural resources of God. You see, the great thing about the day we're living in, a day of inflation and recession and a bit of confusion, is that we have opportunity to trust God. You see, if you're living in superabundance, you may not trust God. You may look at your bank account. You may look at your job. You may look at your resources, and you say, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Do you realize how quickly you can not be doing pretty good? I mean, life can change, can it not? I mean, we've all been there or seen people that have been there where they were living in the, at the very height and the peak of everything they wanted, and yet something happened, one little shift in their life, and they lost everything. You say, well, that won't happen to me. The Bible says, take heed, <laughs> lest you fall. You see, we always have to live in that tension of dependence on God and hard work. Those are both God-honoring values. So in the Bible, there's two individuals named Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were two of those early characters that teach us something about faith and an offering. So I'm going to take you to Genesis 4. And verses three and five, it says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of first fruits of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now, it seems like an unusual story. It almost seems like God's unfair, doesn't it? I mean, Cable, he brought, I mean, uh, Abel, he brought his, and Cain brought his, and yet God rejected Cain's offering. And if you look at it, you wonder why is that? Well, let's just dig into it a little bit. He brought the first fruits, which is what he's supposed to do. The first of tenth of everything belongs to God. He brought it, but he brought it, it says, the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Do you know that the fruit offering was never acceptable for the removal of sin? So he was really saying, I'm going to give you something, but I don't think I'm a sinner. I don't think I need redemption. I don't think I need the atonement. I don't think I need the shed blood. But look at the difference here in Abel. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. In other words, he brought a lamb. Remember the, when uh, uh, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? That's a picture and a type. We see here Cain, he understood that the sacrifice was going to come through the firstling of a flock, through a lamb, a spotless lamb. And it says, and their fat. Now, the reason the fat is important there, the fat was offered as a sin offering. Now, for all of us who have a few extra pounds, <laughs> we might make a little additional offering today, Amen. In fact, it says in the Bible that the fat belongs to the Lord and it's a sweet savor into his nostrils. But now keep in mind, that is burning fat and not hanging fat. 
All right, I just want to make clarity here of Scripture, all right? I want to be fair. So Cain, what did he do? Cain could have reacted by learning from that and saying, you know what? I'm going to do what Abel did. But he didn't do what Abel did. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, Cain went around and killed his brother Abel. But what? God warned him before that. If you read on in the Scripture, God says, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin is standing at the door and his desires for you. You see, sin is not some mysterious thing that floats around. He personified it there in Genesis 4 by saying, he is at the door of your very life and he is looking for a time and an opportunity to destroy your life. And all of this came around because Cain did not honor what God said he needed to do in bringing an offering before the Lord that was acceptable. Let's go on to Abraham. Genesis chapter 14. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You're you're hearing the word of God. It's eternal, fixed in the heavens, and it's bathing your spirit right now and helping you to understand how to grow in faith. So Genesis 14, it says, Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem... Now, this is a pre-appearance uh, of the eternal Son of God. If you study Melchizedek more, and I, if you're really a good Bible student and want to get into this, this, he's fascinating. The king of Salem is actually the ancient name of Jerusalem. So he was the king of Salem. He brought out bread and wine. We see communion pictured here, don't we? He was the priest of the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Notice how it sets everything up. Everything begins with who is God, what does he own, and what does he require? Who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So Abraham has experienced a victory here. Melchizedek says, it's God who delivered the victory. It's not you, Abraham. And notice what Abraham did. And Abraham gave him a tithe of all. You see, you only tithe unto God. You don't tithe unto man, you tithe unto God. So in doing this, we're understanding that Melchizedek was God, pre-appearance of Jesus Christ, the Son of God in the Old Testament. Let's go to Hebrews, the New Testament equivalent of that verse. Verse seven, or chapter seven, verse one. Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Now, when you dig down in Scripture, this this even becomes more interesting when you read about Abraham and the battle because it was the kings of the east that crossed the Euphrates River to destroy Israel. Guess what? That's a picture of what Revelation says, that the kings of the east will march against Israel in the last days. So you remember, everything in Scripture is, is teaching you something about the future. Let's go to Jacob. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, this stone which I have set as a pillar before God's house and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So here's Jacob and he sees the hand of God and what he does is he, he, he erects this pillar and he says, this is gonna be a pillar to the house of God and the name that he was at was Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Beth is the Hebrew word for house. El is where we get the word God, one of the names of God. El Shaddai, El Shalom, all those are names. So Bethel, the house of God. So he said, this is the house of God, and I will surely give a tent to you. 
The tithe is holy. Let's go to Leviticus. And this is a really interesting dimension of, of the tithe. You see, a lot of people think a tithe is an offering. It's not. An offering begins after, 10, after you give 10%. The first tenth belongs unto the Lord. It's his. He says, you give me 10 and you live on 90 and I'll take your 90, and, I'll, and I will actually give you more in the end by, giving, by you working on 90 than trying to work on 100. You see, if you rely on your own logic and reasoning, you're going to go, no, 100 is more than 90. Not in the supernatural economy of God. 90 is more than 100. Now, some of your accountants are scratching your head right now. You see, I, I have seen the hand of God. I have tithed from the day I was saved. And I've seen the hand of God in my life, on, in the life of thousands of people. And I said last week, I'll say it again, I've never known a tither who complained. But I've known people who don't who complain. They don't see God. They're not, they're not blessed. They, they think, you know, all the church does is want their money. Hey, listen, God is not poor. Amen. All right, let's look what it says. The, the tithe is holy. All the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the first fruit of the tree, is, notice, it's the Lord's. It doesn't belong to me. It's the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Do you know communion is holy? You know, when we take communion, that's a holy act, isn't it? Baptism is something that's holy, isn't it? Well, the Bible says the tithe is holy. And I can't hold on to that which belongs to God. I have to give it back to God. Let's go to first fruits. This is a really interesting thing because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out some money here. And uh, I'm going to ask you. So here's a $10 bill. Everybody recognize one of these? It's worth about five right now. Okay, $10 bill. Now, let me ask you, how much, I think all of you are going to get the answer to this, how much would a tithe be of this $10 bill? One dollar. Okay, here we go. We got a dollar. Now I've got ten ones here. Which one of these is the tithe? Some of you go, well, you know, after I pay my bills, that's what's left. That's the tithe. No, first fruits is first fruits. So what does God promise to bless? The first one. You know the first thing I do when I get paid? I take 10% and I give it unto the Lord. I don't go like, well, let me pay all my bills, see what I've got left. Then I get back and I got... Oh, only got 50 cents left. I'll give God 50. You know, the average Christian in America donates about 1.8% of their salary to their churches. 1.8. Do you know the average American donates to charity 1.7%? Do you know the promise to heal the land is tied to our giving and our obedience unto God? It doesn't say if the world responds. It says if we my people will do this. I'm going to bless. So let me take you to this idea of first fruits. And once you get the idea of first fruits, it makes all the sense in the world. First fruits, Exodus chapter 23, the first of the first fruits. Notice that? The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring where? Into the house of your God. Now you see, in the Old Testament, the house was the temple, in the New Testament, it's the church. A lot of people say, well, you know, I give 10%, and they've got it divided up. You know, they've got this charity gets this, and this mission gets this, and this gets this. That's not a tithe. The tithe goes to the house of God. I give an offering. That's anything above my tithe. I give that to those different charitable organizations. You see, God only promises the supernatural blessing. Remember, you're not just blessing. In the, you say, well, I'm pretty blessed, and I'm not doing that. 
but are you blessed in eternity? Lay it not up for yourselves treasures here on earth where rust and moth can eat it up, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do you realize when you get to heaven, you're not just gonna be floating around. You're not gonna be a nice, plump little angel with a harp. Now, I know Hollywood likes to picture that, and it, it's kind of cute, but it's just not biblical. You're going to be as you are now, except better. You're going to have an eternal body. You're going to have a celestial body. You're going to be able to know as you've been known in eternity. In other words, you say, well, I get to heaven, I'm going to have a lot of questions. You won't have one question. There is never a Q&A in the Bible with God. You know, like, oh, I got a few things to ask him. You will be so broken and humbled by the presence of God that all you can do is sing worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and glory and honor and riches. But the Bible also says you will know as you have been known. As God knows you, you will know you. There will be no tears. There will be no sorrow. Why? Because you will know as you've been known. Everything will make sense. Every confusing thing you've seen in life about why do the righteous suffer and the evil uh, succeed, it will be answered in an instant. And you will have an eternal bank account to draw from based on what you did on planet Earth. And some of you who are rich on Earth will be poor in heaven. I know that's shocking. You think you can take it with you. I promise you, there are no U-Hauls that are pulled behind a hearse. Amen? Amen? That just is not the way it works. So if I want to prepare for my future, I invest in eternity. That's what I do. So it says, the first of the first fruits of the land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord. So when I give my tithe unto the Lord, I'm honoring him. I'm saying I honor you. Have you ever been in a room where some dignitary walks in and you, you stood? Or how about at a wedding when the bride comes in? You stand, right? That's the right thing to do, and you feel good about it, don't you? God says, when you honor me, honor the Lord with your possessions. I walked out today as I do uh, almost every day I do this. I, from my upstairs, I, I, will, I bless our house every single day. And then sometimes, three or four times a, uh, a week, I will walk outside. I'll walk a little bit around the property, and I'll say, God, um, I hope I do a good job taking care of your stuff. Not my stuff. It's his stuff. It's your house. It's your cars. It's your bank account. It's yours, God. Just teach me to walk humbly before you. Right? So it says here, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll go speak or I'll do a wedding and someone will, will hand me a check or they'll hand me, you know, like I, I, my favorite one is when you do a wedding and they, they'll say to you, uh, well, what do I owe you, preacher? And I'll say, well, just pay me what she's worth. I usually get 100 for that. But anyway, <laughs> I had a guy tell me one time he was, uh, his wife had died and, and he was marrying a gal whose husband had died. And they were about, uh, I don't know, they're probably 80 years old and they were getting married. And he came to me and he said, now, preacher, I want you to do my wedding, but it's got to be five minutes or less. The wedding? Yeah. He said, if you do it in five minutes, I'll give you $500. Every minute you go over, I'm taking $100 off. And I, and I said, okay, I, I get it. I, I can do a five-minute, you know, wedding, but why? He said, we're pretty old. We got to get on to that to honeymoon. 
I'm not sure what the 80-year-olds do at the honeymoon, but I'm sure it's something. <laughs> All right, so what do you do? You, you honor God. Look at what it says. So your barn, why do I do that? Why would I do that? Why would I honor God with the first fruits? All right, so your barns will be filled with plenty. You know what that means? That means you live in a margin. See, God wants you to live in such a way that all your needs are met. This is what biblical prosperity is. All your needs are met, and you have a margin in order to help others and prepare for difficult times. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. So he's giving you all this thing about basic sustenance is your barns. Abundance is new wine. You see, you need what's in the barn. You don't need the new wine, but God says, I'm gonna give you the basics and then I'm gonna give you more. See, this is what supernatural resources do. And the reason that I, you know, people afterwards, they always say, I bet it's tough to talk on giving. I said, it's the easiest talk I do because I think it's the biggest thing that can change people's lives outside of salvation. When, they, when you learn this and when you get in step with this, it is absolutely mind-blowing to see what God does. Supernatural provision comes in ways and you're scratching your head. I don't know how this happened. God just keeps blessing and blessing. Now, there's only one thing that God ever asked you to test him on. Can you imagine? You're the teacher. He's the student. Right? He says, just test me on this one. Test me on this one. And here it is. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Where do you bring them? In the storehouse. Well, you know, I'm supporting some political candidates and I don't really have anything left. I remember I, I had this guy, he, he was actually played for the Dallas Cowboys, and, and uh, I preached on giving, and he wanted to do lunch with me the next day. He said, preacher, can we go have lunch? I said, sure. And so uh, we went out to lunch, and he just kind of shook his head. He said, preacher, I, I really believe what you're talking about in tithing. He said, there's no way I can do that. And I said, well, John, I mean, you seem to be doing pretty well. What's the problem? Well, you know, I got three country club memberships. I said, John, could you do with one? Well, I guess I could. Anyway, John reluctantly tithed and then moved to Houston, okay? And I hadn't seen him in a few years, and I was doing some doctoral studies, and I had to go down to Houston, and, and he offered to let me stay at his house with, with he and his wife. And, and uh, when I drove up, I saw this hellacious mansion. I'm talking, you know, you can get a lot in Houston, right? She used to be able to. I don't know if you still can. But this house, it, looked, it was like the biggest house to that point I'd ever seen in my life. I, and I pulled up and I thought, I wonder if that John's still tithing. It doesn't look like it. <laughs> and so we went in and we were just really good friends, been friends with him through the years and sat down and we had some coffee and a sandwich and we're talking a little bit. And I said, well, John, your house is pretty nice. He said, yeah. He said, you know, I wouldn't have this house if it wasn't for you. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, you know, you got me tithing reluctantly. I said, I remember you went kicking and screaming. He said, but I want you to know it was so easy, I started to double tithe and give 20%. He said, now I give 40% of my income to the Lord. And he said, I really want to start giving more. You see, now, that might not even compute in your mind. You're going, are you kidding me? He must make a lot of money. You see, I can, tell, I can show you people make very little who honor the Lord in their tithe, and they're blessed. I can show you people make a lot of money, and they don't. And they're not blessed. They just think they are because they have a lot of money. 
So it says here in Scripture, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me or test me is the word there. In this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. So how do I get heaven's windows open? Through the tithe. It's the only way I can get them open. They don't open because I plead and cry. They don't open because I'm, you know, I'm desperate. They don't open because I pray a long time or go to church 400 times in my lifetime. They open through the tithe. And it says here, Test me in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. And what I do, I'm going to pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You're not even going to have a room enough for to receive it. You're going to be blessed. You're going to go, I am so blessed, I cannot believe it. So you see, the tithe is the Lord's. It's not mine. It's the Lord's. If I, if I look at it like mine, I've already made the first mistake. I've already ruined my faith. I have to say, that's not mine. You ever seen little kids when they have a toy, they don't want to share it? That's mine. That's mine. Give it to me. And they scream. They've got a pitch. <clears throat> when they say mine, they've got a pitch that reaches to the heavens. Mine. I wonder if God hears that from you. That's mine. No, and God said, no, that's mine. That's mine. Not yours. That's mine. But if you will share, if you will give me what's mine, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven to you, and I'm going to bless you beyond measure. But it's up to you. You get to choose what you want to do. But the good news is I was an only child, so everything was mine. <laughs> People say, ah, oh, it makes sense now. I understand. <laughs> yeah, like you got no drama in your household with siblings? Okay, let's go on. If you will not open the windows of heaven, pour out for you such a blessing, there will not be room to receive it. The tithe is the Lord's, and the offerings are anything above the tithe. So if, I, if my tithe, for example, is $1, when I give $1.10, then I've given a 10, 10% offering, or a 10% tithe, and, a, and I've given a 1% offering. You see how that works? Just get biblical economics in your head. Forget the economics of this world. You know, all through history, we could pinpoint things where God has done some amazing things. For example, when the Great Plague came through Italy in the 1300s, 1385, there was a whole group of people who were not touched by the plague, and then they were blamed for the plague, and that was the Jewish people. They wondered, why Why are they not suffering the same death rate as everyone else? It was because they were keeping the laws of God. And because they didn't understand supernatural provision, that is, the Italians at the time, right? The non-Jewish Italians. What they did was they blamed them. They said, you started the plague. And it began a persecution against the Jews because of that very fact. But you see, when you operate in the supernatural moment of God, in the resources of God, the unexplainable will always be a part of your life. It's always going to be a part of your life. And I tell this to people, and they scratch their head, and they wonder, well, how do I do this? Well, see, that's why I began with faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. As you hear the Word of God, and you're being bathed with it, you should be growing in faith, going, wow, the Bible has a lot to say about this. In fact... Jesus said more about money than he ever said about heaven, about hell combined, and about salvation combined. Why? Because he knew the key to your future was your heart. And when your heart is right, then the treasure is right, and it's put in its right place. 
So what do we say about it? Well, we say your giving needs to be, your tithing needs to be in the right place. It needs to be in the storehouse. Not your house, storehouse. It has to be with the right motive. I do it because I love God. Well, preacher, you sound like you're talking about if I give, I'm going to get. I will because I believe in the law of the harvest. We introduced this to you last week. If you plant corn, what do you get? Help me out a little bit louder now. I want to see how many farmers we got in here. If you plant corn, what do you get? If you plant apples, you get what? You get plant wheat, you get what? You plant money, you get what? Some of you didn't want to say it, did you? See, it's the law of the harvest. Everything reproduces after its kind, Genesis chapter 1. Dogs, dogs, cats, cats. This is the way it works, all right? Right attitude. What's the right attitude? Faith. I just believe God. I'm just going to believe God. You say, have you ever been in that situation where you doubted? Sure. There have been many times where I'm saying, God, I, I, all I got to hold on to is your promise because I'm not seeing evidence that you're busy right now, and I'd like to kind of motivate you with your scripture. That's what God wants you to do. God, you requote his scripture to him, God, you promised. Now, God is the expert of the cliffhanger. Have you ever noticed that? It's always the last possible moment God comes through, but he always comes through, amen? Deuteronomy 28. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. How'd you like that? You go outside your house, you're blessed. You come back in, you're blessed. The Lord will command the blessing on you. Did you see that? It's not a blessing. It's the blessing. The blessing on you in your storehouses. You see how this is tied to the tithe? He's gonna command the blessing. The blessing is the open windows. I'm gonna command that on you. It's not gonna be optional. It's not for some and not for others. On you and your storehouses, in all which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will command the blessing in your storehouses. Deuteronomy 28, eight through 10. And in all to set which you, which you set your hand, he will bless you in the land which the Lord God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a what kind of people? A holy people. A holy people to himself. Just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord. You know that every promise in the word of God is conditional? If you will, I will. If you will, I will. If you will, I will. It's always through the scripture. Just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments to the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. This is the right kind of fear, by the way. This is the respect you get from nations because, you're, because God is your God. See, early America had that, didn't it? You know why? Because it was rooted, our very constitution is rooted in the word of God. Our whole legal system is rooted in the Word of God. It's based, it's based on the Old Testament laws. God said, I'm gonna bless that. I, it doesn't have, not every single person has to do it, but if my people will do it, I'm gonna bless them. So what do I do? I bless the storehouse of God. That's what I do. I'm gonna keep reading. Deuteronomy 28, listen to this, verse 11. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, isn't that interesting? In the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord your God swore your fathers to give you, the Lord will open to you his good treasure. That's the windows of heaven, the heavens, 
to give the rain in your land in its season, to bless the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. We haven't really heeded that very well. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Would you rather be the head or the tail? Would you rather be the head or the tail? I don't know about you, but I, you know, I, I remember that story of, of Samson when he's out there plowing behind the oxen, and all day long he's watching the back end of an oxen. And he came to a place, he said, enough of this, I'm gonna go out and follow the Lord. See, the Lord had called him to do something, but he was, he was content to stay behind and be the tail. Never be content to be there. He says here, you shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed, here's the if, here's the conditional. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded today, and be careful to observe them. Now, don't miss this last part. Job chapter 22. Someday I want to do a a one-day sermon on Job for you. Because everybody's got Job wrong, in my opinion. It's not about a guy who had a bad day. It's so much richer than that, it's unbelievable. All right, but that's for something else. That's the cliffhanger. Job 22, 28. You will also declare a thing and it will be established. He said, Job, declare something. He's looking at you saying, will you declare your future based on the word of God? You need to make a declaration of God. He says, when you make a declaration, it will be established. It doesn't say it might be, it says it will. You see, the words of your mouth, they need to be life. You need to be speaking life. You know why why I think Roe v. Wade got overturned? Because so many Christians were speaking life. You speak life. You speak life over everything you do. So light will shine on your ways. You mean I'm going to know what I'm supposed to do and see where I'm going. That's what it says. When they cast you down, they'll try to cast you down. uh, And you say exaltation will come. You say you can throw me down, but I'm getting back up. Amen. You might have a setback, but you're going to have a comeback. Amen? Give God the glory. Put your hands together. Give God the glory. Then God will say he will save the humble. When you walk before humbly before your God, he will bring exaltation in your life. He will cause you to triumph over your enemies. He will cause you to be the head and not the tail. He will cause you to be above and not beneath. He will cause you to win and not lose. I'm telling you, God is for you. Make a declaration today with your hands. Would you stand? I want to give you two last thoughts. Here's the declaration I'm going to make over you right now. New opportunities will be revealed by the Spirit of God today. Right now, some of you, the Spirit of God is revealing opportunities. He's showing you new ideas. He's showing you things. My good friend Doug over there said, I get more insight during a sermon about my business from the Spirit of God than I do all week long. You know why? Because you've opened up this portal of God in your life and you're listening and you're seeing what God's doing. I'm telling you right now, I'm making a declaration over you. New opportunities will be revealed by the Spirit of God today in your life. Can you say, I receive it? Second thing I wanna say is you're entering a new season of favor. Don't look back and say what you've lost. Look forward and say what I, where I'm going to be. This is a day of favor in the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Can you give him glory? Can you give him praise for that? Amen.